0: This glorious Mess Welcome to This Glorious Mess and Mia's podcast for parents who wish they'd never encouraged their child to take up the violin That's me This morning at 7.45 I was at a violin concert I shouldn't this say mo- this because it's this really morning, judgy
1: morning at 7.45 I wanted to end it all
0: <laughs> I was in hell with a bunch of what slightly nerdy children. Nine? Eight. Eight. Yeah. Wow. Murdering their and violins. How
1: many years playing violin? First oh, year?
0: Matilda's been only been playing it for a year. Mm. So Frera Jacca features mm. largely. Yep. Oh my gosh. What we
1: used to do is we had a cat when we were kids and we would all get one leg and pull it.
0: <laughs> Stop.
1: And we'd get a very similar noise.
0: Oops. <laughs> I'm Holly not Wainwright. True. No, he is not a <laughs> cat torturer. I am Holly Wainwright. I work at Moamia, and I have two little kids who are under eight.
1: And one violin player. And
0: one of them is a violin yeah. player.
1: Yeah, I'm Andrew Dado, and I've got three older, what, year nine, year 11 and gap year.
0: On today's show, when should your tween transition from spending all your money to spending their own money? Tween? You know, a like t- a teen. A tween
1: spending oh their man. own money?
0: Tweens and teens. This is a
1: comedy segment. <laughs> What a joke. Are you kidding me? When should a teen, like, cough up their own money?
0: Does this not happen in your family? Oh, my God. Well, we'll have a lot to talk to Mr Scott Pape about. Yeah,
1: the Barefoot Investor. Australia's number one selling author.
0: I know. More than you and me. Way more than you and me. That's why he knows about money, because he's got Got some. (laughs) Got (laughs) some. Plus, a dilemma from a listener who isn't thrilled about what her neighbours are doing outside her toddler's Mm. bedroom window. Mm. But first... Midwives in the UK have called for women to be given official targets for how much weight they can gain during pregnancy. The Royal College of Midwives says they want to set weight limits after research has shown that too much weight gain by mothers could lead to babies growing into unhealthy school children. The limits they're proposing is 16 kilos for women of normal weight and 9 for those who are overweight or obese. Now, here in Australia, it's optional whether or not you weigh in. But in Britain, they used to weigh in, and then they basically banned the weigh-in because they thought it was making people too conscious.
1: Weight shaming. Yeah,
0: and now there are calls to reintroduce it because they think that pregnant ladies are putting on too much weight. well, well,
1: Well, hang on. They're bringing it in not because the health effects of the babies from the pregnant women who might be putting on too much weight are adverse compared to women who don't put on too much weight. Yeah. So there's a medical logic behind it. So they've gone off the... We don't want to make anyone feel bad to we want to look after the health of our next generation.
0: I think so. I mean, I'm sure they've got lots of reasons for why they're doing what they're doing and I'm sure that one of them is about the health effects of a baby if the mother is obese. But the issue around them having a magic number for how much weight a pregnant woman is or isn't allowed to put on, one of the reasons why they did away with the weight in the first place is because that can vary enormously from Mm. woman to woman. So putting a standardised amount on it is difficult,
1: but they have to make up yeah, some weight, an arbitrary weight,
0: and they have. So it's sixteen kilos for an ordinary, ordinary, and inverted commas <laughs> woman, right?
1: Yeah. Are you ordinary?
0: I didn't get obsessed with weighing myself when I was pregnant. No. But I'm not obsessed with weighing myself anyway. Possibly. Yeah. Do you have scales? No. Possibly to... well, no. I th- do we. I should high-five you, but I don't should. think exactly. <laughs> but anyway, pregnant women are very sensitive about this, and the whole world is always telling them, like, oh, you're big, oh, you're small, mm. oh, have you even got a baby in there, or oh, are you carrying twins? Like, if you're a pregnant woman, you you will be talked to about your weight all the time. And for some women, it is incredibly confronting to walk into the midwives every yep. checkup and have to hop on the scales.
1: And there's a theory there that that's more stressful than the weight that they might put on, and the baby would inherit that stress
0: exactly yeah
1: so doctors here they weigh or they
0: in my experience you you get to choose right that is the guideline between 11 and 16 kilos. In Australia in as well. Australia as well. So in Australia, the guideline is the same. It's between 11 and 16 kilos is the recommended amount to put yeah. on. And some women will put on over that and some women will put Under. on less than that because everybody's different and a different body type. You know, some healthcare professionals insist on weigh some don't. But often these days, people are much more sensitive to the idea that a weigh-in can be traumatic is possibly overstating it, but certainly confronting for a lot of pregnant women.
1: Yeah. And, and just on the home scales, we definitely don't have scales at home, even though I should probably have scales, because Jackie doesn't want the girls weighing themselves exactly. and going, oh, my God, oh, my God. So they don't. They look at themselves in the mirror and go, oh, my God.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Dad, can I please have some ice cream? No. <laughs> he says yes so nights. We received an email this week from a listener called Lauren. Now, if you have a dilemma that you would like Andrew and I to discuss, you can email us anytime at tgm at mamamia.com.au. So Lauren wrote, I live in Queensland, which can get rather warm in the summer months, so I like to have our toddler's bedroom window open to keep it cool for him, especially during the night. Seems sensible, Lauren. Nice, yes. Our neighbour's patio is next to my toddler's bedroom and like us, they use their patios daily. They are chain smokers who smoke during the majority of the day and at all hours of the night on their patio. The cigarette smoke goes straight into my toddler's room. Do I have the right to say something to the neighbours or do I just have to suck it up and deal with it? Help me, oh wise ones, says Lauren. She's got that bit right. Of course, we're exceptionally (laughs) wise. Andrew Dada, do you have any thoughts about mm, this?
1: Can you move the baby's room?
0: So you think the onus is on Lauren? No, no, just
1: for a simple, straight up, quick answer. Move rooms. Move houses.
0: <laughs> move neighbourhoods. Move neighbourhoods. countries. No, but
1: like if you can move the baby into a different, or the child into another room, so it's not a smoke affected room, that'd be a quick way to get away with it. Otherwise you could say, would it be possible? Hey guys, very hard.
0: It is very hard. So- They're outside. We're outside? <laughs> what more do you want? And they're on their house.
1: Outside in their own house. We've had neighbours, hardcore um, smokers, teenagers, and said, listen, any chance you could move further down the yard Mm. so you're not, like, fagging on into our house? And they said yes.
0: The thing is, is that when you live in close proximity to people, I live in a unit. So in our place, we've had exactly this issue several times where people who would smoke downstairs outside, their smoke would drift into other people's windows. And it's been like passive aggressive notes in the hallway and confrontations at the strata meetings and all those things. That's always a difficult conversation because people are like, well, surely I'm allowed to do what I want. But that's common areas. So they have to do that. But if they're in their own house on their own patio, it's
1: hard to do anything.
0: I would suggest the general gentle conversation first.
1: <laughs> I like the way you put it in that voice as well. Because you know it's not going to work. Followed the, by, this is never going to work, no. voice.
0: Followed by a passive-aggressive note under the door. Yeah. Followed by move the room.
1: Mm. The other night I was at an awards and one of the winners was helping people stop smoking and the guy who won the award stood up and did a speech and said, can we please have some empathy for the smoker? We've forgotten about the rights of the smoker. They're people too. Mm. And I went, oh. <laughs> No one. Where were you 20 years ago? They've got to have their own fair go as well.
0: Yeah, but if their smoke affects your health or your child's health, then, you know. Mm. I'm very glad I'm not a smoker. Same. I was a smoker in my youth.
1: How good was it?
0: It was amazing. It was
1: great in the old days. <laughs> you smoked, oh, you have a packet of smokes yeah. at the nightclub and waking up
0: <sighs> thinking
1: like you'd been in front of a fire for the last three days.
0: But it's much harder to be a smoker these yeah, days. it's not good. I reckon, yes, Lauren, do the polite ask Then do the passive-aggressive note. Then the onus might be on you. Mum, you just don't understand. When is the right time for kids to stop going out on your dime and start partying on their own dime? This is a good question. You must have a lot of experience of this. And how do you know when your child is financially responsible enough to move out of the house? And do you care? So, this or do is you when they're older. Boot them out?
1: So, we're talking about 20 well, something. So, now.
0: basically, no. So, Scott Pape, the Barefoot Investor, who's the guru mm. of finances in Australia, best selling author, et cetera, et cetera, has written a book for families. And it's about how to survive from when, all the way when they're tiny, like putting the money in the jars. We yeah. had him on once before the three and Three about that, right? Yeah through to teaching them how to be financially literate and stable enough to be like moving out of home with a head start and also getting off spending all your money and spending some of so their So this own. is
1: from tweens onwards. Trying well, to get it's, from, tweens. it's from
0: little kids onwards.
1: Yeah, but for today, we're going to talk about from tweens onwards, trying to get them to cough up their own cash.
0: Yes. Good luck. Hello, Scott. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure and
2: an honour to be here. Oh,
0: thank you. Now we good want you, to Scott. talk to you obviously about The Barefoot Investor for Families, which is your new book. Now I know that your book has everything from um, little kids through to teenagers. I think last time you were on Scott, you told us about the three jam jar the mm. gives, spend, save yep. and I've been doing that with my yep. kids ever since you told us that. So that's good. Right. We wanted to talk today though a bit more about tweens and teens, which is a bit more in Andrew's space and yeah. about how and when kids should become financial responsible for themselves. Yeah,
1: and spending their money instead of your money.
0: So when do you say that you should stop giving kids money for things like, I want to go out to lunch with my friends or I want to go and buy XYZ at the shopping centre?
2: My thinking is, so yeah, I have written a book that is for little kids that say I've got a two-year-old right up until 18-year-olds. And it's designed to be a program that you can follow right through. But if we're coming into the third quarter of parenting where we've got teens that are, you know, 15 or so, one of my views is that they should get a part-time job, Mm. even if it is for a few hours a week, because they should be earning their own money. I think that if your teenager doesn't go out and get a part-time job, they should not be able to graduate. They should not be able to pass go and collect $200. Because if you look at it, a part-time job, the first thing they have to do is sell themselves to someone external from the family. They actually have to think about all the things that they have done. If they've got no experience, most 15-year-olds don't, but they need to sell why they are a good person and reliable. And I think that in and of itself is a really valuable thing. But then once they get the job, they have to hang out with people they ordinarily wouldn't hang out with. Mm. Hopefully they have to work over a hot, sweaty grill that gives them acne. That may be a byproduct of it. They have to get a bank account. They have to learn about super. They have to look at their employment contracts. So, Long answer to a very short question. I think that you should, at age 15, encourage your kids And if they want money, they actually have to go out and earn it. Ah. Um, And younger than that, my view is that the best thing about the jam jar approach is that if your kids want to buy something, you say, great, awesome, mate. What you do is you go home and you get your jam jar, you take the money out of that, and then you buy it. That's how you get them interested in managing their money because they can buy their own stuff. And just like you, you can say, you have a jam jar, I have a bank account. When mine runs out, there is no money. It's the same for you, buddy. So,
1: Scott, what if you've missed the jam jars, you've hurdled the jam jars (laughs) for (laughs) for no good reason, and now you've got teenagers with jobs and they still are reticent highly reticent, highly, highly yes. reticent to dip into <laughs> yes. their metaphorical jam jar, otherwise known as a I bank it's account. I think great.
2: I think this is great because what this is, is this is a, a really great uh, way of teaching needs versus wants. So you can say to your team, you may need a coat, you may want to get it from ASOS, but I only need to make sure that you don't get hypothermia. So I'm going to get one from Best and Less. Mm. It's your choice as to which one you want. I've got $15 at Best and Less. If you want something better than that, you can then go out and you can want all you want. Spend your own money. It's a life-changing link of if I want something, I have to go out and earn it. And as parents, that's the one thing that we can do to say, I am not here to be an ATM machine for you. My job is to encourage you to go out and earn a buck so that you can buy those things. That is the lesson that we want. We want our kids to be workers.
1: We do. This is slightly more complicated, but still down the same road. You've got your, let's say, 15-year-old, and they go, I'm going to have lunch with Holly down at the mall or whatever it is. Can I have some money? And you go, no, use your own money. And then she goes, well, don't worry about it. I'll just sit in my room. Yeah, we're desperate to socialise our children and make sure that they're out and they're doing things and out of the house and not sitting in their room. And if they come back with that sort of answer, is there a nicer way around it short of just folding and going, okay, look, here's 10, off
2: you go. No, you don't fold. What are you folding for? What? Go to um, the kitchen, make yourself a sandwich and turn that frown upside down. No, no, no. But, if you want to go out, go out with your friends, but I'm not paying.
1: But if they say, well, I'm just not going to go then, and they stay home, if, but I actually want them out doing things, living a life.
2: Are you saying that in order for your children to have a social life, you have to be the one that pays for that, even if they've got a job and they don't want to spend their own money? Is that what you're saying?
1: I'm saying I would most definitely cough up money to have them doing things no, than not Andrew. doing things.
0: No, Andrew. No, No, I'm, just, I'm Andrew. not saying it's, no, no, not saying it's
2: right. As far as whether or not I have to bribe my kids to get out of the house by shelling up money... I've got younger kids, but I can tell you there is absolutely no way I would be giving my kids money just to go out. If they wanted to sit and sulk in their room, good luck. No, I wouldn't be giving them money.
0: I'd love to know, Scott, because the premise of your book that really impressed me is that if you follow these rules through from when they're little, so my kids are young, and so in theory if I followed them from now, that you're actually talking about them leaving home with a head start. So traditionally, I mean, I know that when I left home, I didn't certainly didn't have any savings. I didn't have any of those kind yeah. of things. You just modelled through it. And you're saying that you can teach this kind of financial literacy to get a head start so your kids get out of there with money in their pockets and ideas of, of what to invest it in and all the rest of it. What if you as parents are a bit financially challenged?
2: <laughs> Yeah, I I wrote this book with the understanding that nearly 50% of the population don't have the numeracy skills to function on a day-to-day level. Mm. So theoretically, most Australians are kind of screwed up with money. You can actually use that to your advantage. So my parents quit school when they were 16. They are not uh, well-educated people. But what I learned from my parents was every night we sat down at the family dinner table. The television was off. And I got to see them make adult decisions with their money. They were saving up for a home. I watched them over 10 years save for this home, which was a three-bed brick veneer home. And when we moved in there, it was like the Taj Mahal for us. Mm. You know, they were still sheets on for curtains and stuff. But I learned through osmosis how to be a good money manager. To your point, I've workshopped this book with single parents on low incomes. And what I've said is to those parents... You can actually be really real with your teenage kids and say, look, here's my credit card. Here are the things that I have done that if I'd known this when I was your age, life will be so much different for me. And I think having those real conversations where you're talking to your teen and you're treating them like an adult are some of those moments that are going to stick with your kids. Everyone wants to give their kids a head start. Most people have this mistaken belief that the way to do that is by giving them a crap load of money when they turn 18 or buying them a house or by giving them a deposit. But we all know, we all know people that are our friends or people that we know of who have been given large amounts of money and it turned out to be total financial train wrecks. Like, it's been a curse for them.
1: Yeah, so the best way to help someone financially is not to give them something, but to... Have them learn the lessons on the way through.
2: So, what I've done is got this thing called Barefoot 10. So, it's basically by the time your kid leaves home, they should have done these 10 things. And you just basically check them off. And if you've done these 10 things with your kids, by the time they leave, whether they be 18 or 25, or God help you, 35, you've done your job.
0: I've got the Barefoot 10. They're everything from opening a zero fee, high interest savings account to this one really interested me bought and sold something secondhand. Why do you yeah, recommend so
2: what, they do I, that? So that they understand the value of a buck. So in my last book, we had Barefoot Date Nights, right? So the Barefoot Date Night was the idea that the person reading the book was interested in money or at least somewhat interested in money. If they had a partner who wasn't reading the book and that was on the couch watching the hoodie, they are the people who are not interested in money. So I said, go to the pub, take your partner to the pub and then spring finance stuff on them. <laughs> and it kind of worked really well. So with this book, I'm like, the uninterested party are the kids, and I can't take them to the pub. But what we can do is create a new family ritual, which is a family money meal. And it's on a Sunday night when hopefully things aren't as busy, and you have these experiences. And one of them is that you do a treasure hunt. You get your kids and say, go and find one thing that you no longer use and bring it back to the table, and we're going to sell it. And the reason that you want to do that is it shows just how much the value of things drop after you buy them. Ah. Um, So you go, look, I, I lasted after this guitar. I haven't used it for two years. I can actually sell this. Oh, my God. It was $500. I can probably only get 80 bucks for it on eBay. But then the other idea is that when they get that 80 bucks, they can actually go and buy something else that somebody else has bought that they regret. So it's just teaching kids the value that you don't have to buy everything brand new. And the value of things, that you can buy things secondhand and that things add up.
1: Just a last thing, and the Barefoot 10 is really good. Number six really hits me, promise to never ever get a credit card.
2: We know statistically that the most financially illiterate people of all Australians are those who finish school. And what happens when you turn 18 or generally around 18 is a bank will send you a credit card and then they'll start jacking up the limit. And then what happens is somewhere around the mid-20s, you go, see, I am done with money because I've got the credit card balance to prove it. Mm. And so for me, the easiest way to build your confidence in your financial confidence is to say, we don't do credit cards. Get a debit card. So for me, in that barefoot money meal, and I create all these experiences for the parents, is that the kids come to the Sunday night barefoot money meal, and there's a blender smack bang in the middle of the dining room table. And mum and dad get out their credit card payments, and they show the kids. This is how much interest we're being charged. And if you get a credit card and you pay the minimum repayments, you'll be older than us by the time you actually pay this thing off. And then the piece of resistance is you get your credit cards and you put it in that blender and you say, in our family, we don't do credit cards. We don't pay interest. We earn interest. Yeah. One little thing I would say to this is you have to be very careful. I I did this with my kids and they actually um, grabbed uh, Nan's uh, wallet. And a credit card to a four-year-old looks a little bit like a uh, driver's license. And they were throwing the driver's license in the blender. And Gran had a meltdown. You're not in the cult, uh, man. <laughs>
0: Scott, is the book out right now?
2: The book is out right now. It's uh, number two, which is great, on the charts, which is uh, fantastic. Um, And uh, a lot of parents are emailing me into their kids doing jam jars and a lot of pissed-off teenagers um, (laughs) reading it and going, what the hell has my parents got me involved in? And uh, I'm hoping it makes a real difference to a lot of Australians. I know it really will.
0: It genuinely will. It really, really will. So the Barefoot Investor for Families, you can get it now. Thank you so much, Scott Pape.
1: Good on you, Scott. Thanks very much. Thank you.
0: Nailed
1: it. Holly, Nailed every week we have to assess our parenting or some aspect of it, it and work out if it was good or it was bad. Nailed, Nailed it or we failed it. This week, I've had a nail, but it works like this. We videoed stacks of stuff on videotapes. This week, worked out how to transfer the tapes onto digital so I don't have to go to one of those shops. It's called Ooh. a cable. <laughs> right? (laughs) And I had to go to two different shops to get two different cables and I did it. So now I can transfer them. I made a video yesterday of Jasper, our youngest, being held up and then falling down, held up, falling down, held up, falling down, and then finally walking. So I've actually got that on video.
0: Oh, that's so cute. Yeah.
1: And then the actual bigger nail was that this morning on the way here, I've got a cup of coffee and I'm watching this young family and they're having toast and baby chinos. So I'm watching them. And then looking at those little tiny moments as if they were video clips with nice music in the background. And even the most mundane things are actually beautiful when seen as a short video moment. Oh. And it really took me back to all those fantastic times. And then this guy walked out of Woolies with his kid in a pram and he's got his kid's got a little kinder egg and he goes, if you open that, I will take it from you. And I went, okay. <laughs> I remember <laughs> But it's that thing of like as hard as it all is, later, in small bites with nice music, it's all beautiful.
0: You nailed it.
1: And not only that, Jackie goes, oh, I can't believe you've done this, darling. Now have you found the tape from two thousand and six? No, I haven't. So anyway, so that was good.
0: Brownie points.
1: Brownie point. Well but oh. as we all know, they do not accrue. So bank them. <laughs> Guys. <laughs> How'd you go?
0: Uh, I think it's a fail. I think it's a fail. I think I have successfully invaded my daughter's privacy. Here's a question. When you're eight, do you have privacy?
1: When you're 18, do you have privacy? Not when you're living at home.
0: Yeah, right. So Um, Matilda loves to write in notebooks all the time, mm -hmm. like write her little secrets in notebooks, and she puts all the keep out stickers on them and stuff. It's very cute. And of course I read them. Which I is something I always said I would never do, right? You know, the things you said you would never ever do as parents. Maybe this is a bigger discussion, but I don't think I would do it when she's a teenager. You need
1: to, you need to check yourself. <laughs> you seriously need to check yourself. Because if you're doing this now, this is like starting off with, you know, stealing a drag of your grandma's smoke and moving on to marijuana, God knows where you're going. <laughs> Seriously.
0: (laughs) It's just too tempting. I want to know what's going Oh, my God. It's just too tempting. I tried heroin.
1: It was just too... See what's happening.
0: So it's something I always swore that I would never do because I really believe, especially for adolescents and teenagers, they need privacy in their own life and all that stuff, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, there's a notebook sitting there that says keep out. And I'm tidying up the room and I'm like, oh. So I read it and the first page is like... I'm sorry, I shouldn't say, even I'm invading your privacy massively. But anyway, there's like, you know, I've got a crush on this boy and I had a bad day because of this and remember Nothing, like I didn't discover anything traumatic or anything, mm. but I just sat there and read it. And then I was like, <laughs> oh my God, All right. what have I become? I should add this to the long list of things that you say you'd never do when you're a parent and then you do.
1: Okay, so this is why I think it's the, A, because you're invading a your privacy. B, it changes your conversation, your structure of conversation, At the dinner table. So I've got a crush on this boy, Jeremy, for instance. You then sit there that night after reading her secret place and go, Jeremy. (laughs) She looks up like she's been caught stealing. What? Right? You're creating a wedge.
0: You're right. So do eight-year-olds, they have privacy about some things, but your diary should always be private, right?
1: No, never said that.
0: Oh, so what do you think? No,
1: I just said it's dangerous. (laughs) I would look. (laughs) I'd look at my 16-year-old's diary.
0: Would you? Would you
1: really? Uh, probably things I wouldn't want to see.
0: I'd love to know what you think, listeners. Do kids who 8-year-olds have privacy?
1: Maybe you've privacy to puberty. Maybe that's the sort of line. See,
0: I just think, though, when I was a teenager, I kept a diary and I would have been absolutely devastated and betrayed if I'd have thought my parents were reading my diary. Maybe they were. Well, I don't think they were bothered. Right,
1: so do you still have the diary?
0: Somewhere.
1: Okay. So can we do, like, a chapter thing? <laughs> Well, let's see how bad it was.
0: Oh, that no. would be fun. I think. It's, oh. oh my god! No way.
1: <laughs> Why are you turning purple?
0: <laughs> and if you have a nail or fail, you can do the same thing. Email us on the address that I just gave you, or you can call the pod phone on O two eight triple nine nine three eight six, which is what Emma did. Hi, this is Emma from
2: Sydney, and this is for this gloriousness. My daughter recently had her sixth birthday party, and. She was one of the things that really bugs me about going to birthday parties is the lolly bags at the end. So what I decided to do this year was to not buy a bag. Oh, shock. And I bought instead a $5 donation cards. So what we did at the end of the party is, I wrote, in lieu of a party bag, we've made a donation in your name to this organization, no party bag. And then I actually gave them um, two long tubes of bubbles. So the kids were wrapped,
0: the parents
2: were wrapped, and I went home and had a glass of
0: wine. Wow. Emma, that is like a multi-nail because you are now the coolest and most smug, I hope, parent at your
1: school. Hang on. A, what? a thing of what? Bubbles? Yeah. Were the kids really repped?
0: Emma, Andrew is questioning your nail status. Oh. I say that's amazing. Oh, no, I think
1: it's fantastic. What you've done is a great thing for the world and the universe and all that, but were the kids really <laughs> repped? I can imagine the parents were all wrapped because it everyone's a Debbie Downer on mm. Lollys now. But...
0: <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> the kid's going, what oh, a donation card. Emma, do not let Andrew Danner rain on your parade. No, no I'm, not, I'm not. I think
1: it is spiritually a great thing to do. I just wonder <laughs> if it's outside the joy de vivre, or however you would say Joie that, de vivre. of the six-year-old birthday party thing. That's it. In my heart, I know it is absolutely the right thing and the best thing to do. Brilliant.
0: On you. <laughs> on you, Emma. Now, Jess shared a fail in our Facebook group, which is called The Motherish. It's a safe space for imperfect parents and we would love you to join. Jess says, this is a bit of a vent. I'm feeling a bit of mum guilt at the moment. I'm currently 25 weeks pregnant. I have a 17 month old and I'm working part-time. I get home at four on weekdays, three days a week when I'm working. And on those days I'm such a lazy mum. I let my son watch TV while I mainly scroll Facebook and then he has dinner and a bath and then his dad gets home and I let him take over until bedtime. My house is always a mess. It bothers me but I just can't stay on top of it. No sooner do I clean it and it looks like shit again. I really need to start getting the nursery organised but I just can't seem to find the time. I feel so lazy and frustrated with myself. Jess, don't be so hard on yourself. Yeah. That's not a fail. That's what it's like when you're pregnant and you've got a toddler. When you're pregnant you've got a toddler and there'll be lots of people listening to this who've been in that situation, you are exhausted. Who cares if the house is a mess? Mm. Give yourself a break.
1: Yeah, let dad take care of the house.
0: And there's nothing wrong with a bit of screen time for the kid. He's been at daycare or whatever all day interacting and running around and all those things. What
1: do you reckon our mums did when there was no Facebook?
0: They talked on the phone to their girlfriends. Yeah, right. No, I was just wondering if like if that was where? if
1: there was one thing you could get rid of to give yourself a more apparent time, would it be get rid of Facebook?
0: Facebook has just like become the leisure time that used to be maybe they were watching soap operas in yeah. the afternoon, maybe they were on the, the young phone doctors. to their mates. Mum you used know? to
1: watch the young doctors. <laughs> exactly. Six o'clock. <laughs> Dun, dun. The theme music's just burnt.
0: Facebook. Dr Denham. Dr Denham. <laughs> Facebook is just the new Young Doctors, Andrew Dallow. <laughs> okay, if you're not sure what to listen to next, because we have run out of steam. I remember the Young Doctors? I was never grew up in England. I don't, actually, the Young Doctors was on in England. It was. When I was sick... I used to watch all the Australian things that were on during the day. The Sullivans, yeah. The music from the Sullivans always makes me think of being sick on the couch. The Young Doctors, all those things. It's funny. Yeah. Anyway, if you're unsure of what to listen Karen to next,
1: Pini. Oh God,
0: he's on a roll. There's no stopping Pini. him now.
1: Linda. Uh... Just. <laughs> These are all the hot ones. Yeah,
0: of course, they're the ones What's you remember. The, the, the nurses. hot nurses. <laughs> it's twelve. Oh God. If you're not sure what to listen to next, could I recommend you go back and check out our Year One podcast? It's hosted by me and Christy Hayes and we don't care whether you breastfeed, bottle feed, use formula, pump and dump or even taste your own breast milk. Year One is all about getting you through that first year of your newborn baby's life unscathed. You can search for Year One wherever you find your podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Mamma Mia and produced by Luca Levine.
1: See ya.